Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 1 through 10, and I'll be reading from the message today. Who believes what we've heard and seen? Who would have thought that God's saving power would look like this? The servant grew up before God, a scrawny seedling, a scrubby plant in a parched field. There was nothing attractive about him, nothing to cause us to take a second look. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. One look at him and people turn away. We looked down on him, thought he was scum. But the fact is, it was our pains he carried, our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures, but it was our sins that did that for, to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment that made us whole. Through his bruises, we get healed. We're all like sheep who have wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins, everything we've done on him, on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried and he was let off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought of his own, for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with the rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it's what God had in mind all along, to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life life and more life and God's plan will deeply prosper through him good morning everyone pastor Sharon here I just want to say how grateful I am that we can gather together we gather together around worship around prayer around the word which the Church of Jesus has done for centuries. And even though we've had to make hard decisions about when and how we might be together in person, we can celebrate. The church is not thwarted. God can still move. God is still at work among us, and I'm grateful for that. So today we come to another in our series, All Shall Be Well, talking about suffering love. You know, this week I had a conversation with a member of our congregation. This family had been through a really tough year, and that phone call was honest and real. And as we talked, he, we both kind of laughed and chuckled over the idiom there is about suffering in tough times. And that is, either you're just coming out of a tough time, you're in the middle of a tough time, or there's a tough time of suffering on the horizon. Now that can sound pretty dour, pretty fatalistic, but he reminded me of something that their family has done to hold fast to faith. They ask each other this question, what is God's track record on faithfulness? What is God's track record on faithfulness? And the answer they quote to each other is, it's 100%. 
Now, this expression of faith really ties to this whole idea of the suffering love of God. I don't know where you are in the cycle of tough times. Even with the hope in this new year, new things on the horizon, um, vaccines coming, maybe things opening up a bit, we still have this reality of pain and loss, confusion that strikes all of us. And so at many points in our lives, maybe even for you today, you ask, can God's love be trusted in the middle of pain? This series we've been in called is about the absolute eternal love of God. It's based on words that were taken from Julian of Norwich, a 14th century cloistered woman of God who was given visions, who was given insights into the love of God. And even in the midst of questions and uncertainty about her own sin and suffering, she was able to say, all shall be well and all manner of things shall be well. We've talked about the love of God in that way. We've talked about expecting love, about God's sovereign love. And then last week, Pastor Nancy powerfully talked about God's merciful love, the mercy he's shown to us that then can be expressed to others. And today we turn to suffering love using the text that was read for you earlier from Isaiah 53. So what I want us to do together this morning is to remember to say again and seal in our hearts the God we serve, that first of all, he is a God who is acquainted with our pain. He is a God who carries our pain. And then thirdly, he is the God who has ultimate victory over pain. He is God, the love that suffers with us, a love that holds our suffering, and then a love whose suffering saves us. If you do have your Bibles in print or digitally, I invite you to look again to Isaiah 53, because here we see this powerful description of a suffering servant. Now, the context for Isaiah's poetry and prophecy was in a time of impending doom, destruction and judgment for Israel. The Assyrian nation had already impacted and taken away some of Israel's reign, and now the Babylonian army was coming and the complete destruction of Jerusalem was on the horizon. Exile was awaiting the people. But in these chapters of Isaiah, we hear words of comfort that God is yet going to restore his people. In fact, an obedient servant would come to usher in redemption. And that's what chapter 43 is all about, this description of this servant. Good news, it comes from an unlikely source. So as we look at these prophetic words, we have to remember for Isaiah's audience, it might have referred to Isaiah himself or a royal figure or another kind of king that might be coming. But we know it also speaks ahead prophetically to the work of Jesus Christ. So consider God revealed in the person and work of Jesus as is described here in Isaiah 53. Because first of all, it shows us that God is acquainted with our pain. It is a love that suffers with us. Verses one through three, there's that contradictory picture, a suffering servant who's going to bring salvation. But think of the life of Jesus as you hear these descriptions, a lot of them taken from the message. It would be a scrawny seedling 
or a tender shoot, nothing big, dramatic. In fact, there would be nothing attractive about his appearance that would draw people to him. He was looked down on, rejected by others. In all of these ways, he experienced suffering and knew pain firsthand. As the text says, he was a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, acquainted with grief. The word there for suffering, the Hebrew word, is used to describe both physical and mental pain. God knows what it is to suffer. And so when we ask if God can be trusted in the light of our suffering, these words are comfort to us. This suffering servant, this Jesus Christ who we follow, is familiar with suffering. He endured the rejection of others, the pain of human existence, even to the pain of death. In fact, we could boldly say that Jesus suffers with us. Now, before I go any further, I have to do a brief dip into some theology here, because some would say that statement I just gave, God suffers, is heresy. And I'm certainly no expert on this complicated topic. But I want you to, to see a little bit of the debate around this. It's, it's not important because it's a theological debate. It's important because it reminds us and who God is and what we believe about this God we serve. Is this suffering love part of who he is? Now, theologians have used two different terms to describe these, these things. One is impassibility. It comes from the phrase im, which means not, and passable, these are Latin terms, which means able to suffer or experience human emotions. So the crux of the debate, is God impassable? In other words, he cannot change or suffer or experience human emotions, or is he passable? Is he able to experience emotions? That's the crux of the debate. Is God changeable? Because he's completely independent of all other things, can it be true that he can experience pain or pleasure from the actions of humans? Well, the early church theologians emphasized impassibility, this unchangeable nature of God. And they concluded that God's otherness meant that his divinity, his power, his goodness, his might, doesn't allow us to conclude that he is a God that's impacted by suffering. However, other theologians see it differently. And one words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer kind of capture what this theme has been. This comes from a, a scrap of a letter that Bonhoeffer, who was a German pastor and a resistant to a resistant to the Nazi regime, that he wrote while he was in a Nazi prison shortly before his execution. As he writes, he says this: "Only the suffering God can help." Only the suffering God can help. Let's continue in this passage from Isaiah 53 and to see if it gives us more insights if this is a God who suffers. In these verses, we find out that God's not only familiar with suffering, but the second point is God carries our suffering, our pain for us. Isaiah 53, 4 to 6, it says this, 
that this servant was not suffering just because of his own sins. Instead, he carried our pains as if they were his own. All the things that were wrong about us, our sins, he picked up and put on himself. The image there is of picking up and loading something and putting it on your back in order to carry it. And this wasn't something he brought on himself. No, Jesus took this punishment not for his own failures, but for yours and mine. It was our sins and our suffering that's pierced him. He took punishment so we wouldn't have to. Because you see, our God is one who carries our suffering. I'm reminded in this of the shortest verse in the Bible. It's an easy one to remember, and you probably have from John 11:35, but it's a highly significant verse as well. It says, Jesus wept there at the grave for his friend Lazarus, looking at experiencing the deep grief of Lazarus' sisters and friends. Jesus takes up their pain as his own and weeps. Their suffering and the suffering of humanity at large, it matters enough to God that he sheds tears. A current theologian, Dennis Nguyen, who teaches at Tyndale Seminary, wrote a powerful article about the God who suffers. It's in the Christianity Today. And I gained a lot from his words. He says that a love that does not suffer with the suffering of the beloved is not love at all. God suffers because God wills to love. So when we think of that debate of the God's impassibility, Nian writes that our Christian forerunners were right in emphasizing God is not emotionally unstable. God cannot be manipulated by human emotions. But he concludes, and I agree, that they were wrong to conclude that God has no passion, no emotions. Because God good, God's goodness means that he loves us with a completely unconditional love, involving himself even in our pain. We see this, hints of this, examples of this all through the Old Testament. But we see it most clearly in the incarnation, in this suffering servant, Jesus Fully God, fully human, both transcendent, other, and eminent, near, that comes together in his body. And what does it show us about God? It shows that he enters our pain and he suffers with us. No, Jesus is not limited or diminished by suffering, but he does enter it and there, and in so doing, he transforms it and then ultimately conquers it. In graphic terms, Isaiah describes the suffering and the death of this servant, Jesus Christ. He was beaten. He was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like a sheep being sheared, he took it all in silence. Justice miscarried, and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, beaten bloody for the sins of my people. 
They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never hurt a soul or said one word that wasn't true. This is the suffering of Jesus that wins our victory over suffering. His death and ultimately his resurrection. It's expressed this way in verse 10 of chapter 53. It's what God had in mind all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from it. Life, life and more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. This is the truth of Jesus. This is what God had in mind that in at the cross where Jesus does not withdraw any of his deity, he offers himself in suffering for us. Dennis Nguyen says it again this way, God in Christ experienced a public humiliation, abandoning all self-protection and self-defense in order to save us. God's self was poured out for us and for our salvation. You see that God's suffering love saves us. Jesus, the divine God, the suffering servant, has won this victory. So we go back to the question we started at with at the beginning. What is God's track record in faithfulness? Can God be trusted in suffering? Well, God's track record is 100% faithful. 100%. That's the testimony of so many. And I hope those of you who are in the middle of struggling right now will hold fast to it too. Hear this story from another man who found God 100% faithful. Horatio Spafford was an attorney, a lawyer, businessman from Chicago in the 1800s. He had a lovely wife, Anna, uh, family, but they weren't strangers to tragedy. Their young son had died of pneumonia, and several of his business prospects had been lost in the Chicago fire. Yet God in his mercy had allowed his business to flourish once again, and in the Fall of 1873, Mrs. Spafford and their four daughters boarded an ocean liner to head to Europe. Mr. Spafford had planned to join them, but a business deal had come up, so he had to stay behind, but was going to catch the next ship to head over to Europe to be with them. So Mrs. Spafford, and along with 313 passengers on board this ocean liner, set off. They were four days into their journey when the ship collided with a powerful iron-hulled Scottish ship. And suddenly everyone on board was in grave danger. It took only 12 minutes, and that ocean liner slipped between the below the waters of the Atlantic, carrying with it 226 of its passengers, including the four Spafford daughters. Later, a sailor in a small Rescue boat spotted a woman hanging on to a piece of wreckage. It was Anna. He pulled her to safety, and later they were picked up and brought to Wales. And it was there that she wired her husband this stark, stark message. Saved alone. What shall I do? 
In grief and disbelief, Mr. Spafford booked passage on the next available ship, ship to join his grieving wife. And when they were also about four days out to sea, the captain of that ship called Spafford to his cabin and told him they were very near the place where his children had been lost. In that spot on the ocean, with deep pain of his own tragic loss swirling around him, Spafford begins to write, and he penned the words to the hymn, It is well with my soul. Hear these words as he starts this beautiful hymn. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. This is what suffering love does. A love that suffered and allowed him, Stafford, to look even at his own circumstances and say, it is still well with my soul. God's track record in faithfulness is still 100%. And so today we too receive the love of God again and again, settling it into our hearts, holding deeply into the truth of scripture that we follow a God that suffers with us, that carries the burden of our suffering and that ultimately has won the victory over all sin and suffering. This is the God we serve. And because of his, this suffering love, we too can say, all shall be well. Throughout this series, we have been going through a remember verse, and I want to end with it today. I hope you do remember it and hold it fast. Not as just something children say, children, students, adults, Let's say this together. Remember that God, these are God's word to, words to us out of Jeremiah 31, 3. Say it with me. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is why I continued to be faithful to you. God is 100% faithful and we can trust in his suffering love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift of love that meets us in our suffering, that you yourself, a suffering God, would walk with us, would carry our pain, and then would take care of it forever on the cross. We thank you. We hold to it. We go forward into this week in that confidence that your suffering love is with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive this blessing as you go into this day and into this week. The God of the universe loves you. He suffers with you and for you. And so may it be true of us that we can also say, it is well with my soul. Go in that peace.